0: at this time.
1: What a blessing it is to be teaching on the family and the role of the husband and the wife and the role of children, filled with the spirit and the role for parents we will see today. And isn't it a blessing the last few Sundays to have children baptized? And then, of course, we have a few more that are ready to be baptized. Uh, I'm thankful for the confession of faith of Mary Orr. Did y'all know this girl's name's Mary? She's better known to you as Mimi Orr. And uh, she, the Bible says in Romans 10:9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the confession of her heart, her confidence in Christ, and the Lord Jesus also said, "As you're going, make disciples, baptizing them." Which is uh, a the gospel made visible. Water doesn't save, but it is what the Lord asks us to do in obedience to Him, that we might understand what it means to have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in unison of life. So meet me upon your profession of faith. In obedience to the Lord Jesus and the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life.
0: Let's go to our almighty God in prayer, the one that we just sang about. Father, you truly are the almighty. You sustain us every day by your righteous hand. May we offer you the very best praise and worship this morning because you are truly worthy of every breath of praise that we can give to you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together with your saints, Lord, to lift up your name on high. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, welcome visitors and members to our worship time this morning. Uh, visitors in the pew, you will, I don't have one with me this morning, I forgot to grab one, but there's a little connection card in our pews, front pews, and if you would take that after the service, fill that out, take it to the connection desk, uh, you'll be greeted there by some friendly members of our church, and they'll have a small gift for you, and we're, we're glad we have you in our service this morning with us. Now, you, Pastor Phillips has been preaching on about children obeying their parents, so... Uh, Now he's coming to the passage about, I think, fathers and not provoking children to wrath, something like that, right? And so fathers, we get it again, I think, don't we? (laughs) But as fathers, we do love our children, right? We love them immensely, but we know we do so imperfectly, right? I think about my raising of my children and thank the Lord they've all turned out okay, but I, I didn't have a whole lot to do with me sometimes, I think. But I'm grateful to a God who used me anyway. But you know what? We have a Heavenly Father who loves us perfectly. And the next song we're going to sing is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. to play. would come forward for the offering. We're going to have a prayer. And then as we take the offering, we're going to sing another song about our Father. He's a good, good Father. That's who He is. That's who He is. And I'm loved by Him. That's who I am. Without Him, we would be nothing. And so we're going to be singing that as as the ushers take up the offering. Let's go ahead and go to prayer. Father, this morning we've offered our voices to You in praise. We pray that it was pleasing in your sight, Lord. And now we offer back to you some of what you have so richly provided for us. We ask that you bless it. We ask that you use it for the furtherance of the gospel, because that is our main purpose, Lord, is to further your word around the world. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for the lavish provision that you have so richly provided for us. And we ask these things in the precious precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.
2: to
1: At my former church, I was out one Sunday and my associate pastor preached for me. And one of the guys in the church, his name was Jonathan Downs, he walked up to Brother Bill and he said, Brother Bill, I want you to know you're a pretty good spare preacher. <laughs> so Mr. Phil, you're a pretty good spare music guy, right? We appreciate you filling in and, and serving and we certainly miss Brother David and Miss Cammie and He's at home mending up. Surgery was successful, and that's a good thing. And David likes to get up and get out and around, so pray that he won't go stir crazy. And we pray that he will mend up. What a great song to think about our good, good Father before we dive into what the text says. Because as we read it, as human beings, we realize we're not perfect like our Heavenly Father, and we struggle. You read this like, Lord, this is an assignment for angels, not fathers, right? Um, But the the deal is God did not give angels offspring. He gave them to us. So we have this responsibility. So Christ-centered families, today we're going to address spirit-filled parents. Now again, it's important, don't lose the forest for the trees, And we say that often. It's important. Why? Because there is a thematic structure singularly that drives all that we've been preaching. However, there are little nuances and smaller themes throughout all of it. So we would call the forest the big theme, thematic structure, and the trees like the tall sequoias or the redwoods that are springing up all over them. And let's be honest, there's some huge trees. In here, However, let's not lose the forest for the trees. And so it's important to remember where this passage starts. And that is Ephesians 5.18. The Bible says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. So, this all is tied together by the larger theme... Of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And remember it's present tense. It's durative. Progressive. It is continually being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not like you pull into a gas station and you get your pump. You get your tank filled up. By the way, that's expensive nowadays. But that's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You got all the Spirit you were ever going to get when you trusted Christ. He sealed you. However, we might say that to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you getting more of God. It means God getting more of you. Every single day of your life, that's what we're looking toward. So to be filled with the Spirit produces certain results. Spirit-filled submission is the category we're in. Submitting to yourselves, one another, in the fear of the Lord. You see it in verse 21? That is a secondary theme Behind being filled with the Spirit, there are five participles of result that we've looked at. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks. And now we're on submissiveness. So be filled with the Spirit. Fifth participle of result, a fruit, an effect that you are filled with the Spirit of God is that you will be submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So godly submission submission affects relationships. Husbands. Husbands. To wives, wives to husbands. And notice how it's given here. It's given, it addresses those in submission first, and then the position of authority over wives unto your husbands, right? Children to your parents, and then it's going to talk about slaves or employees to your employer or your master. So keep this in mind too. What is the goal of the Holy Spirit of God? John 16, 14 says, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. So the Spirit's goal is to sanctify the husband in such a way that he glorifies Christ. The goal in the wife's life is for the Holy Spirit to control you in such a way that you bring Jesus glory. Same is true for children. Same is true today. For parents, spirit-filled parents who are controlled by the Spirit of God and who bring God glory. Okay, parents, as spirit-filled believers, we should desire spirit-filled homes which glorify God and magnify Christ. That deep desire should be there if you're saved. That desire should be spirit-filled Homes, Spirit-filled families. We want God at the center of our homes. And of course, I'm calling it Christ-centered. Why? Because the goal of the Spirit of God is to bring Jesus Christ glory. That's the challenge as Christian parents, isn't it? What kind of home will we have? Will we have a Christ-centered home or will we have a child-centered home? Will we have a me Centered home or a Christ-centered home? Can we as believers say with the Holy Spirit controlling us that we desire Christ-centered homes? Hold on. No matter the cost. Do we? Do we ma- does that matter? Yes, it does. There is in fact, folks, a biblical theology for parenting. And in short, let's just say there is a parenting that is consistent with the word of God. Is it safe to say that God's way is the only way that God will be glorified through our parenting? Is to do it God's way. So we commit to do it His way, and we commit to do it according to the Word. And it's not enough to say, well, that's the way I was raised, and I turned out okay. It's not enough to say that. We have to say, God, how are you glorified biblically in our home?" We want our children to be followers of the King. We want our children to love and follow and serve Jesus. Now, I would give up everything if I could secure my children's home in heaven. But you know what, folks? We cannot secure that outcome of their faith. I can't make my kids Christians. All of my kids have professed and confessed Jesus Lord as, as Lord and Savior. But I always say this about kids and I say this about everybody. The verdict's still out on you. Because if you're basing your salvation on a one-time commitment that you made 35 years ago. And you're not committed to that same commitment today. Then you didn't commit back then. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one unique son. That whoever believes. Present tense. That's a present tense verb. You are continually Believing in the gospel. We can't make it without the gospel. It's not something you did one time in the future. And you're like, I'm done with that pastor. I'm good. I I prayed this prayer 35 years ago. No, that's not enough. What's your life like today? Now certainly you do need that initiatory. Trust in Christ. But if we're not desiring to live for him today. Then something's wrong. So I'm trying to encourage you. We cannot secure the outcome of their faith. In regard to our children. The blood in our veins that is found in their veins does not make them a Christian. As a matter of fact, that blood is a strike against them. Right? In as much as it depends on us, however, we must desire to see our kids prosper in the Lord. Knowing him, loving him, serving him, serving others. Being used up for God's kingdom and his glory. If we can't say this, then we need to check our priorities. As believers, this is what we need to do. So, I would rather have my children grow up with some type of menial job making minimum wage and knowing Jesus Christ than to grow up and be whatever professional you may name and have a 5,000 square foot house but be just as lost as the day they were born. That has to be our attitude as the people of God. Let's commit to follow what the Word of God says, relying on the Holy Spirit of God to fill us. Thus, we can say... That we are spirit-filled parents. It's only as the spirit governs our lives through the word of God that we can honestly say we have a God-centered home. Now, are you ready for the verse? We're going to have one verse, but we're going to preach two sermons on it. And I'm not going to do both sermons today. Okay? So take a deep breath. Verse 4, chapter 6. Again, be filled with the spirit. Spirit's role is to glorify Christ. Thus, we're talking about spirit filled parents today. That results in a God centered home. Okay? Verse 4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One point Fathers, don't provoke, but train your children. There is a conjunction in verse 4. And fathers do not provoke. And that conjunction links us back to a previous command that the children had to obey their parents. It also links it forward to the master-slave relationship. So the reason I put parents and not father because some of you ladies are thinking, whoopee, I'm off the hook. And the Greek word is pateris. Pater is father. But I've placed it as parents, spirit-filled parents. There is an intentional shift, I think. Remember, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And we, we unpack that and right on the heels of that, fathers. So there is an intentional, I think there's an intentionality from Paul uh, in Jewish, and typically in Jewish culture, who was responsible primarily for the ch- education and discipline of their children? Fathers. That's right. So, Paul is, in my opinion, singling out fathers. However, his duties are her duties. And this is important for us to think about. Just flip over to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. And listen to what Solomon says. Right out of the gate when we're dealing with wisdom and instruction. Here's what it says. Proverbs 1 verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So, the mother's duties are represented by the father's. So, I think the emphasis falls upon the father and the dad. But I think there is an ultimate... There's an ultimate responsibility on the father. However, we're, we're definitely knowing that she's addressed as well. Okay? So here's the way I would say that. Moms, you need to listen at this point. But dads, you really need to listen. Okay? Now, subpoint one. What does it mean not to provoke your children? What does it mean? Do you know that this word appears only here in this form... In the entire New Testament. Fathers provoke not. It means to make angry. It's pretty simple. It's a command in verb form. But it's also used, it's used here in verb form. Which is the only time. But it's used in a few other places as a noun. For instance. Ephesians 4.26. You don't have to look too far. So don't get bent out of shape. In my Bible it was just one page to the left. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, these are not the two same, they're they're different words. The first anger is different from the second anger. Okay? In the Greek. So, the second anger word has the idea of the source of the provocation. Where did the source of the anger come from? Don't let the sun go down on your source of provocation, that which has made you angry. So, this is what Paul says. Fathers, do not make your children angry. The English Bible says, do not goad your children into resentment. Colossians 3.21. And what is Colossians called? In reference to Ephesians, the sister epistle. Listen to it. This is important. Chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. I checked this before I came in. Two different Greek Greek words. It's not the same word provoke that is used in Ephesians. It's different. I'm not going to tell you what it is because that won't mean a whole lot to you. But I can pronounce it. But here's the deal. They're different. They're different words. In other words, the Colossians 3.21, listen to it. Fathers, do not embitter is the word. Do not embitter your children lest they become discouraged. So we're bringing these two things together. Don't arouse or provoke or irritate them with the result that they end up becoming discouraged or they end up losing heart. So when Paul is dealing with the family code, parents filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody listen, raise your hand. When he's dealing with this parent code of fulfilling Parental responsibilities. He doesn't say, now fathers, step up and rule. It's Not the first thing he says. Should you rule in a godly servant way? Yes. It doesn't say fathers dictate. It doesn't say fathers govern. Fathers be the boss. It doesn't say that. What it says here, don't make your children angry. Fathers, don't embitter your kids in such a way that they become discouraged and lose heart. Folks, if you're paying any attention to this generation, you will certainly recognize that we have a generation of depressed and angry children. And this ought to pull on your heartstrings. How many times have we heard recently in Nixa and Ozark that kids are ending their lives? I want to remind you that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Young people, don't give in to the enemy. Our God is for life. He is for life. Don't ever give in to the enemy. He's a thief, and he's come to to seek, to steal, and destroy. So, kids are angry. They're embittered. And they're full of resentment. They're discouraged and they're depressed. Please hear this. The first place to look for why the things are the way they are is not the TV. It's not movies. It's not even video games. Which they that's something in and of itself that's not the best in the world. But here's the deal. If you want to know why things are the way they are, the first place to look is to parents. Now here's a very important qualifier. Okay, are you all listening? That's not always the case. It's not always the case that where you need to look is the parents. Why? Oftentimes, well, first, it's the sins of the parents that's oftentimes the root of an angry or depressed child. We know this, okay? But I say that with extreme caution because there is a caveat here. Not all rebellion is because of the sins of the parents. Children are rebellious by nature. And you've laughed when I say this, but it's true. They're vipers in diapers. Okay? They're rebellious by nature. They would rebel if their mother was Mother Teresa and if their father was the Apostle Paul. All right? They would. You can't look at a child and say, conclusion, bad parents. As a matter of fact, Isaiah, don't turn there, but I was reading through this this week and this kind of stunned me as I read this. And I'm making a point that you can't just look at a kid and say, "Mm, bad parents. Why? Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, from the Lord has spoken, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. You gonna call God an imperfect father? His whole nation rebelled against him. Now we're not perfect fathers, but the parable of the prodigal son Should cure us of seeing a one to one occasion between children who rebel and bad parenting. It's not an absolute category in the Word of God, yet, what is clear is that when you see certain things manifesting themselves in the lives of children, such as anger, such as discouragement, often it's rooted right back to the sins of the parents. We wear that, don't we? We own that. Is that not the clear implication of the verse we are reading? Why is Paul warning us? Because we can bring our children to anger and we can cause them to lose heart by the way we treat them. So, except explanatory, if you have an angry kid, we may very well be at the root of it. They've been provoked to anger. If you've got an apathetic, indifferent, discouraged kid that's lost heart, according to Colossians 3.21, the root may well be a father who has brought his kid to embitterment. Now, we can't paint every single instance with a broad brush. Yet, we got to be sensitive to what this text says. I, as a father, must be sensitive to what this says. Provoke not your children to wrath. So, as parents, and especially fathers, right? Moms, you listen. Dads, you pay a lot of attention. Me, right? We have to ask ourselves... Am I guilty of doing something that provokes my children to anger? Am I doing something that embitters them and they're losing heart? So if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God and you want to be in obedience to God's Word, then we must ask the Spirit of God to search our hearts when we hear such an admonition from Paul. Provoke not your children to anger. Am I provoking them to anger? Am I embittering them to discouragement where they're losing heart? Now, I know these are tough questions. But I believe a man of God or a woman of God is willing to ask the question. I believe all of us should stop and ask the question. We need to be interested in self-examination and sanctification. I want the Spirit of God to have control of my life. And I want the Spirit of God to have control of my family. That should be our desire, right? What are some of the ways that we provoke our children to anger and discouragement. I told Natalie this week that I needed to sit down with all my boys and ask that question before I preached this sermon because they're all spread out. It was hard to do. Didn't want to do it by phone. Could have grabbed Nathan and he probably would have given me a list a mile long. So what I did was instead I asked them how their mom had provoked them to anger all these years. And man, did I ever get a long list, especially from Merrick, right? No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that, but I probably should have. But I, I wear this. Okay, I, I'm preaching to myself in the midst of the context of this. Okay, When I looked at biblical commentators and what they said about provoking children to wrath, here are some of the things. The capricious use of parental authority. Unnecessary rules and regulations and endless petty corrections. Unjust and improper parental treatment arbitrary and inconsistent, foolish, harsh, and even t- cruel treatment. One commentator made this observation. The prevailing sin, however, is Eli's softness. <whistles> you know that story? Eli with his sons, careless indifference, so that the children rule and dishonor the parents, and the parents obey the children. So there's one biblical counselor named Lou Perillo. He wrote a book called The Heart of Anger. And he wrote that book in 1997. And John MacArthur is the, gives the foreword. And he says there's no other book that gives as much practical biblical wisdom as this book does on this particular subject. So Lou Perillo actually was a pastor. And he compiled a list of how parents provoke their kids to anger. Y'all ready for this? Are you ready, dads, moms? Number one, the lack of marital harmony. Number one. And he quotes Hebrews. I didn't mark that. Well, wow, I went straight to Hebrews. twelve fifteen. Listen to it. Here's what it says. In the spirit of this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So he says... What, what are some of the things? The first one is lack of marital harmony. In other words, as the child observes the resentment between mom and dad that results in his parents' lack of harmony, he becomes or she becomes more susceptible to acquiring those bitter thoughts, motives, attitudes, actions that he or she has seen modeled in his parents. Whew. Lack of marital harmony, number one. Number two, establishing and maintaining a child-centered home. That sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Wow, we're family. And we got a child-centered home. Well, if the husband and wife do not work in being closer with one another than the child, the child may view himself as equal to rather than subordinate to mom and dad. And in such a, quote, democratic household, children tend to become angry when their desires do not get placed on equal status with the desires of mom and dad. Establishing and maintaining child-centered home. We want Christ-centered homes, not child-centered homes. Number three, modeling sinful anger. In other words, when we model anger, then what can we expect from our children? Number four, habitually discipline while angry. If you're angry, it's easy to over-discipline and the child begins to perceive that the discipline is an act of a personal attack Instead of a God-given discipline upon the child. Did I hurt you dads? Were you ever guilty of this? How about scolding is number five. By scolding, he's not referring to what the Bible may refer to as rebuking our children. To scold has the idea of bombastic belittlement. It's a running off of words that are critical. And that are designed to hurt. There's a difference between being rebuked and being scolded. We can wear this one as well, right? There's a difference, okay? Number six, we can provoke our kids to anger by by being inconsistent with discipline. Children do not want to grow up confused. Kids need boundaries, they need standards. When the discipline is inconsistent, it sends a mixed message and can provoke them to anger. Next, Y'all loving this? I told Natalie this week, well, this has been heavy on my heart because, man, this literally hits close to home for all of us. The next, closely related to this, is having double standards. A parent who uses the Bible to teach, reprove, and correct, and instruct their children in righteousness, but then they turn right around and they're not willing to practice the same biblical righteousness in his own life, You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite when that happens and we're provoking our children to anger. You know who this is? It's the dad who says, around here, we're going to do things like this, boy. And then he turns right around and does those things just like that around here. I want to tell you something. Children are the best hypocrite detectors in the world. And you know it. They can tell, you know, hypocritos means a play actor. It means you're wearing a mask. I'm telling you, those kids can take that mask off very fast. And you know it and I know it. Next is being legalistic. This is having a house where you've got man-made rules and house rules, but you've elevated them above the Ten Commandments. You've elevated them above the Decalogue, we might say. We need to be careful That we don't elevate household rules to thou shalt and thou shalt not. This can provoke your children to anger. Next, not ever admitting that you're wrong and not asking forgiveness. To never apologize. To never feel the weight of blowing it. To never admit that you were wrong or to ask forgiveness. Folks, let's just be honest. That's not good. Right? That is not good. If this is your character all the time, then there's a good chance you don't know Jesus. If this can be your character and you're never bothered by it, and you're never asking, oh Lord, the sinful man that I am, who can deliver me from this? Right? So remember the model prayer. Well, even in Ephesians. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you in the model prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you know that the Lord only gives commentary on one of the model prayer requests? And guess which one it is? It's the one on forgiveness. And here's what he says. If you do not forgive the sins of others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. So if we never admit we are wrong and never seek forgiveness, if we never say, I was out of control, son, forgive me for that. I did not handle this the best way. Or if we never say uh, that's not a kind word that I use. Let me backtrack that. Could we honestly say that at that moment we're being filled with the Spirit if we can do all those things and not confess it? I would say no. The man who thinks he is too manly to admit faults to his wife and kids by biblical standards is not manly at all. You're not manly if that's the case. So in the end, what will God do? He'll blow on my manly pride. And he'll leave me standing naked before the world. And he'll do you the same way. Right? Because God resists the... Yes, but he gives grace to the humble. Next, how about constantly finding fault? This is when parents are never able to see any good. And it's almost like they're afraid to give their kid a word of praise at the expense of maybe their head might explode right before their very eyes. Instead, we are guilty of nitpicking every single thing, whether it's the report card or a project in art or a job or even driving. We can provoke our children to angry, anger by consistently finding fault. Here's another one parents reversing God given roles. When we turn things upside down in the home and the mother rules the house and the father is submissive to the wife, that's called role reversal. That confuses the children. And it teaches them the very kind of people that they shouldn't want to marry and embitters them in the process. Got to be careful there. We can provoke them to anger by not listening to their opinion and not taking his or her side of the story seriously. Now, this one's hard for me because we always, as pastors, want to traffic in the truth. And you know how it is as a pastor. Somebody comes to the pastor and says... Timothy's done this, preacher. Or Merit's done this, because there is that sense that we live in a glass house. Nathan has done this. Well, what's my default setting? If that parent says you did it, you're guilty. But we need to be careful, right? We don't know all the circumstances that have, has gone on. And, oh, <clears throat> I'm coughing because this has happened to me a lot. But anyway, here it is, chapter 18, verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So we need to hear our children out and make sure that we're listening to what they say and not just take it seriously what the story is, that we just don't jump to the default setting and say you're guilty as charged. You can play the fool by being interested in our opinion without hearing what their opinion of the story is. Y'all getting this? How about comparing them to others? Will that provoke your children to anger? How about not taking time to talk? If we send the message that we're always too busy and don't have time for them, they understand that message clearly, don't they? They understand that work is more important to dad than me. Some of you are saying, well, preacher, I tell my kids I love them all the time. Well, you can tell them you love them all the time, But do you take the time to talk? They're people. Last time I checked. They have real minds. They have real hearts. They have real feelings. They're not just the sum of you and your wife's DNA. They really are people. They have souls and they're made in the image of God. And that's what this world better figure out fast before God brings intense judgment. How can we kill babies and think we're going to be okay? I haven't figured that out yet. There is consequences for disobeying God. And sometimes when we're making this clarion call to the world, we're trying to say, avoid judgment. That's why we don't murder and take life. Because God is on his throne. And God will vindicate his holy name. You can take that to the bank. He will do that. So, they're people. They have souls. They're made in the image of God. How about failing to praise and encourage our children? How about failing to keep our promises? Here's what I've learned as a parent one broken promise will stay in that memory bank much longer than a thousand kept promises. That one hurts, but it's true, isn't it? You make that promise and you keep it a thousand times, but you make that promise and you break it once, Katie bar the door. It's stuck in that memory. How about chastening them in front of others? How about not allowing enough freedom? Let me address this one. Common reason why parents do not give their children enough freedom is because of overprotectiveness. I'm surprised some of you parents don't have your kid running around with a football helmet on. You ought to laugh more than that because it's true, right? Sometimes we don't give them freedom because of insecurity or unbiblical principles based on tradition rather than scripture. Sometimes it's inordinate desires to have perfect children and inordinate concern for others and what they think about your children. Right? Here's what Perillo says. By not rewarding faithfulness with requisite freedom, parents may hinder a form of motivation that is inherently biblical, which is called the desire to earn trust. Okay? Now, on the heels of that, parents, you can make your kids angry by giving them too much freedom. That's the flip side of that. Children who grow up in homes with too much freedom, not enough discipline, may quickly conclude, as the proverb says, that we don't love our children. He that does not discipline his children, the scripture says, hates them. So it's very easy for them to grow up and think, well, my parents really don't care at all. We can ridicule them and cause them to become angry. We can mock them. We can abuse them physically. And if you're doing that, shame on you. Shame on you. How about name calling? Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4, 29. Don't let that coarse speech come out of your mouth, but always that which is ministering. Grace to the hearer. How about unrealistic expectations? Statistically, your little Johnny is not going to grow up and make the Cardinals. But as a matter of fact, it'd probably be good if they did after last night. All right. um, I'm a Braves fan. I'm just picking, just picking. But look, can we put expectations on them that they cannot live up to athletically? Yes, we can, if we're not careful. How about academically? If you make anything less than an A, you're in trouble. Parents won't take this the same, the wrong way, but I tell my kid all the time, this is true, isn't it, Nathan? If you're going to be a B student, be the best B student you can be. If you're going to be a C student, just be the best C student you can possibly be. Folks, sometimes the expectations we put on them, what did you make on your grades? Right? I mean, folks, we need to be real careful. We don't need to force the discouragement on them because they don't live up to your expectations, right? Finally, child training with worldly methodologies and inconsistent to the word of God can anger and embitter your children. Last time I checked, our children are physical, spiritual beings. And therefore, parents need to be in tune with what the word of God says, not Dr. Phil and Oprah. Oprah. You better find out what the word of God says regarding how to raise your kids. So, I pray that we've all listened to this in the spirit of Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. If there's any wickedness in me whatsoever, Lord, would you bring it and take it out? Again, as I started this sermon, I said to you, man, this feels more like a job for angels than parents. But again, God gave Parents, offspring. So if you've identified things, kids, you ready for some application? Look at me. Children, I'm speaking to you. If you've identified things that your parents have done to you that's on this list, here's what I want to remind you of. Remember that you are 100% responsible for your own sin. Are you listening? You are 100% responsible for your own sin sins. If you have anger, even if it's provoked anger because of mom and dad, you need to remember that a simple response to sin is never an excuse and is always sinful. Amen? Preacher, yep. I'm an angry young man and that is the problem right there. That's who he is. That's the man that's caused it. That's the woman that's caused it. Well, folks, that's not the way scripture works. If you Have anger or embitterment or resentment or discouragement in your heart. It may have a root source. But sinful response to sin is never an excuse for sin. Never an excuse. Second, ready kids? You must be ready and willing to forgive your parents when they come to you. Because I'm telling you, this could happen after this service. Parents feel the conviction of the Spirit and they come to you. But this sermon is not a bargaining chip for you to get your way. Are you listening? Because you could easily think like that because you're a human being. And you could think, well, this is my bargaining chip. Well, no, this is a spiritual issue of repentance and forgiveness. We need kids to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Amen? It's possible that your parents will come to you. And after searching their hearts, they will ask your forgiveness. And our tendency will be that when we begin to feel that weakness in the parent because they're saying, forgive me for this, we think, wow, I'm in the position of power. No, that's not the way it works. If that's the way you think, then you're not spirit-filled. The way a spirit-filled child thinks is that I forgive my parents before it even comes out of their mouth because I love Christ and I know how much I have been forgiven by Christ. Biblical Christianity: You forgive as you have been forgiven. Now, parents, you ready for your application? How have we contributed to our children's anger, or bitterness, or losing heart? Let's not make excuses. Let's don't shift the blame. But we could say, if you understood how it was in my day when I grew up, you'd understand why I'm treating you this way. But no, that's called Billy Goat theology. Butting here and budding there, and budding here. No, let's just be honest and own it when we've done this. Right? Some of us may need to pick up the telephone. And I'll flip that around. Some of you kids may need to pick up the telephone because of the way you've treated your parents. It could go both ways. So it's not just for little people that are children. It's for all of us. We need to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit... Can change that. By God's grace and by the power of the Spirit, we can move more toward Christ-centered homes. We can move more toward parent, Spirit-filled people. It takes confession. It takes self-examination. It takes repentance and reliance upon the Word of God. Applying the principles day in and day out, right? Right? If you know you've got this weakness, if you know you've got this propensity, you need to memorize scripture that directly addresses that. Father, help me today to bring every thought under captivity to the obedience of Christ. I have a tendency to be angry. Ephesians 5.29, 4.29. Help me, Lord, with that. Apply the word of God to that particular area. Does that make sense? Sometimes this is just simply an issue of mortification of the flesh. Paul says, I die daily. It is, Lord, kill it. You nailed it to the tree of Calvary. Now kill it in my life and remove this propensity. Now I want to ask you a question. Do we desire for Christ to be honored and glorified in our homes? We got a parent according to the control of the Spirit and by the Word of God. Yesterday I had the privilege of speaking to a family about a funeral tomorrow for Miss June Johns. And they talked about family life and how difficult it was growing up uh, I don't think they would mind me saying this but Miss June didn't, never had a believing husband and she took those kids to church on her own she was the only one that went and she took her kids with her to church and one of those wives said in that meeting married to I think the oldest son said this I am so thankful for the grace of God because she took us to church. We are saved and our, and our kids are saved and our grandchildren are saved. I want to encourage you and tell you this, folks. A little bit of salt goes a long way. And you may be the only parent in that home who loves Christ and brings your children to church, but please bring them under the sound of the gospel. His grace is greater than all our sins. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What could avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Sing it. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Hear this. Grace that is greater than all our sins. This sermon, this moment, could mean revival for our church. If my people who are called by my name, that's ownership. The world that's lost can't have revival. They need rebirth. The church is who needs revival. Let's pray. Father, help us during our invitation time to be honest. Lord, uh, my mind races back to attitudes and raising four children and sins, Lord, of how you struggle along to. To honor Christ and to do what's right, but the flesh gets in the way. Help us, Lord. And, uh, Lord, by all means, I, I know that we have families in our church whose children are spiritually AWOL. But your grace is greater than all our sin. You are a much, much greater Savior than we are sinners. And you can change us in a moment. You can take out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh that's pliable, moldable. God, would you be pleased to do that? You have the power to speak to even a valley of dead men with just bones there and bring life. God, would you do that? Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Hymn today will be Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Have thine own way,
3: Lord. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now.
1: Verse one more time. Are you really committed to this verse? Hold or my being, absolute sway. <sighs> Hold or my being. It's called Lordship Salvation. You're the boss, Lord God. You're my Savior. You're the King. Hold or my being, absolute sway. Let's sing that one more time. Have thine own way. still praying let's just play the music i miss debbie and let's pray Praise the Lord. I know the thing about an invitation is it doesn't stop when the music stops. Uh, The Holy Spirit goes with us, and we pray that he'll work in our hearts and lives. Um, If you would like to help us with visitation efforts, uh, come tonight. We'll have a card for you. Some of them are ministry needs. Some of them are first-time visitors that you could go and meet and visit with. So that'll be at 530 tonight. Don, we don't have them ready for you to grab right after the service. So if you're going to do it today, you have to come at 5.30 to pick those up, all right? Uh, Natalie and I would like to say thanks to you for thinking of us during Pastor Appreciation. Uh, I've been given some dandy books to read, and thank the Lord for that, and just, just the thoughts toward us that you pray for us. That's the best thing you can ever do for us, and we appreciate that greatly. God bless you. Any other announcements, Mr. Phil? Don, you have something? All right, Mimi, they're calling you to the back to shake hands, all right? That's right, yes. Praise the Lord. You've been summoned to the back, (laughs) all right? Well, God bless you again. Oh, yes, uh, there's a larger amount of people that we're going to try to minister to this year for Christmas for families that can't afford it. So I want to encourage you to start giving like today, all right, toward our effort for Christmas to take care of families. Okay? We are going to join with another church, but the numbers are going up. Let's say if we had 20, next time we'll have 40. We're not sure, but if we can, if you'll give toward that, that will be a major blessing. All right? God bless you, and you have a wonderful day. Church, you are dismissed. Have a great afternoon.